Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's sure. a great toy. But They're yeah. like nine hundred dollars. They are obscenely expensive. Not that I've looked. <laughs> Do they look like those ponies that you pay like twenty five cents to ride? They look even more sad. Yeah. Just imagine that without either end. It's just the <laughs> <it's> saddle <laughs> with a little nub that comes up. Like I'd rather sit on my washing machine then. Yeah. Well, you know. I Have you just... ever done that before? No, not in a sexual sense. Have you? No. I love this. But it's Can in the movies. First we mas- need to do it. First masturbatory experiences. Yo, oh my God. I can't even reach back that far in my memory. What? Well, shit, should we do it? Here we go. Okay, I'm going to try this and let's see if I don't fuck up. Hey everyone, and welcome to Conversations with Two and a Half Asians. I am one of your hosts, Ty Tran. I'm Anne Shi. And I'm Elena Earhart. And we are two Asians, and one of us is half Asian. <laughs> Gets me every time. Today is our second ever episode. The first episode, some may argue, was kind of rambling, but today we have a more concentrated theme. Today we're talking about trauma. Yay, everyone's yeah. favorite subject. Oh, fuck you know, yeah. Our personal trauma growing up. Either trauma being Asian or just trauma in general. And how that has affected us and how that has made us who we are today. I think it'd be a good subject to explore, especially if you are from an immigrant Asian family. You know, some of us have not made that journey to address what that all has meant for us and how that has shaped us. But hopefully listening to us talk about it um, will give you some insight into yourself. Trauma, like lowercase t trauma, usually there's a lot to potentially excavate because it's... Hmm. I haven't heard of the distinction between capital T trauma and lowercase t trauma. Capital T trauma is like sexual abuse or like Mm. physical abuse, like something... The big ones? Yeah, like the big ones. Well, as racialized trauma is just your generalized experience and kind of very ambiguous um, in terms of like how it impacts you. And so that's why it also takes a lot of time to kind of excavate and really peel back. Okay. Anyway. I was just going to throw out the quote from James Baldwin. Throw it out. Throw it out there. The unexamined life is not worth living. Mm. And that's kind of what we're seeking to do today is just... That's true. Dig into that. And I, I do think as an aside, we might consider having a content warning before this episode like Mm. i don't think we're going to talk about molestation but Mm -hmm. if you know any significant trauma that we feel we want to brace listeners for yeah so i I guess the potential trigger warning we're not sure what we're going to get into (laughs) yet but it's probably going to be heavy there might be some crying uh, <laughs> and we, we, if we sound muffled, we have better microphones today. We're kind of uh, perfecting our setup. So we have uh, better microphones. And you probably hear that we sound a little muffled. It's because we're all wearing masks still. Because we're still in this fucking pandemic. Um, but we're getting out of it. I think we all have our first shots. If we're slurring our words or sound muffled, that's why. Um, uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I'm really excited. Excavate. I'm just jazzed about this subject. <laughs> Who wants to start? Who wants to start us off? Okay, well, I'll ask the question then, because that means I don't get to go first. I want to ask, growing up, if you can remember if there was one <sighs> defining incident, if you could imagine your life as a movie, what was that one inciting incident that defined who you are? Mm-hmm. And, and anybody can jump in. 
Not all at once, though. <laughs> go ahead, Elena. I feel like you've here got, I go. You're, you're locked and loaded. So my dad is was I do that a lot. Hmm. First generation Chinese American came from a family of nine. I wow. have. Yeah, all named in alphabetical order. What? I might add. <laughs> okay. Alan, Barney, that's... Cindy, Dennis, Eric, Francine, Gina, Howard. Well, that's easy what? to remember who's in what mm-hmm. order. Who's yeah. in order, which I think speaks to the hierarchy of Asian families, Can right? Can you repeat those names again? Alan, Barney, Cindy, Dennis, Eric, Francine, EFG, Gina, <laughs> yeah. Howard, Irene. Wow. So they just, they didn't like skip around. They just went straight from the top mm-hmm. they saved the rest of the alphabet for yep. like more kids oh my god yeah for the grandchildren no oh, i'm just shit. kidding <laughs> wow. wait one more question um yeah when when did your dad come wait he was born here father. yeah okay mm-hmm. yes yeah, the, the, the got the christian names going i was like yeah right. yeah you're third generation then i'm second i don't know which way to count <laughs> my dad was first generation chinese american okay gave birth to me I got. Yeah, look. my dad gave birth I'm, to me. Oh wow! Okay, this is a whole other subject. Holy shit! I got to look this up because I feel like we should know this. This is kind of embarrassing. I think it means that you were the first to born be in America after your family immigrated here. That's why I always went safe with one and a half because I wasn't really sure, and I could hedge between one and two. Nice. But I feel I thought it's if you're here, you are the first generation. Yeah. No, okay, not well, if you according, oh. according to the United States Census Bureau, first-generation immigrants are the first foreign-born family members to gain citizenship. Oh, shit. According to Wikipedia, so, you know, this is, <clears throat> this oh, wow. is fact, uh, in sociology, people who permanently immigrate to a new country are generally designated first-generation, oh. while those born to at least one immigrant parent are considered second-generation. Okay. All right. Hmm. Well, my mind is... So you're third. You're third. I'm third. My dad is second. Huh. All right. Mind blowing. There you go. Kind of weird. It is kind of weird. Seriously, it just redefines everything. So there was a lot of supposition about the dynamics of his family growing up as a second generation American son of nine total children, you know, with a successful cardiologist father who had really high expectations for what his children did and what success looked like and you know, frugality being essential, just trying to live that American dream, you know, trying to be the model minority. And he was really, really angry and cold and frustrated and irritable ever since I was a baby. Those are my first memories of him. When I was born, he was starting his own private dental practice. He was paying for my mom and his home in an upper middle class neighborhood. He was about to fund my mom's graduate school education. So he had a lot of financial pressure upon him. I'm not trying to excuse his behavior, but he did not, he was not emotionally equipped to handle the stressors of his life in addition to parenthood. And one day he was watching TV in the master bedroom. He loved watching sports, like seated at the edge of the bed, you know, leaning forward. And he didn't often relax because he was always working. So that was like his zone. And I was tossing stuffed animals at his back because I just... You want to like provoke your parents or a playmate when you're little, you want to engage them. And he would kind of like turn around and leer at me, like, what the hell are you doing? But it would kind of entice me because I'd be like, maybe this is part of the the play. Any attention is better than no attention. Right, right. So I just kept doing it. And eventually he got up 
And the look in his eyes was pure rage, pure rage, like he worse than Disney film villains, you know, and he started stampeding at me and you could just see the anger in his eyes. And I was suddenly, it it was very evident to me that this was not play. I had really pissed him off and I felt fear. So I sprinted, we had a really long ranch house. So I sprinted away from him and he's like thundering down the hallway, yelling at me. And I, it, I can recall the, the transition from like, you know, playful jest to holy shit, I might die. I might die. This man might kill me. And I ran into my mother's arms at the end of the hallway and she was like, what is going on? And he just kept yelling. Um, and they were screaming at each other. She grabs the car keys and we walk into the garage. The cars in the garage are elevated like on a cement platform that meets with the driveway. So we had to walk up three stairs to get to the garage. And I'm in her arms. We're like trying to run to the car. He pulls us down the three stairs. Talk about like lowercase t trauma wasn't a full staircase and (laughs) i don't remember i think i was three or four i don't remember what happened i just remember there was screaming and i was like transfixed on a little potpourri sachet on the wall um instead of watching what was happening to my mom but it was physical Mm. and eventually mom got me in the car And we drove to her best friend's house. And I remember like, you know, looking from my car seat at him in the garage, like pacing like a fucking wild animal. That from that moment on, I knew that my dad was just like a serious threat to my physical safety. How old were you? Three or four. Wow. Mm. So that must have been one of your earliest memories then. Mm -hmm. From that point on. And coupled with some other experiences, like I completely vilified him mm-hmm. as a really scary, scary man that I did not want to be around. So when they got divorced and there was a split custody agreement. When did that happen? Um, I was seven. Mom and I moved to Seattle. I lived with her full time, but I had to travel back to California by myself once a month to spend weekends with him. Oh, my God. And it was terrifying. Just as a court order? or like- Yeah, shared custody agreement. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, you just said that. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, that is fucked up yeah that and he was he was like pretty emotionally verbally abusive too on some of those trips yeah i think what i had heard once is like it doesn't matter how often it happens if it happens once it's the fear that sticks with you wow Mm -hmm. right like absolutely so even if it happened like once every like three years your constant your body and your mind is constantly in fear of when it might happen again I was in a so constant it, brain fog or like a survival mode yeah. around him, you know? Jesus. Um, uh, so many questions. Take um, it away. I mean, you, obviously your father's no longer with us anymore, but mm-hmm. do, do you feel that you ever reconciled with him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I eventually grew to like really love and appreciate my dad and empathize for how angry he felt back then and how unprocessed his own trauma must have been Mm -hmm. like he didn't learn to do that on his own someone treated him that way i feel for that little boy very very much and um i wish you know since my dad died i've been in therapy i had been in therapy for a while after he died gaining these you know skills of empathy and compassion and i wish more than anything in the world that i could just talk to him about 
what he went through and provide him with that um, forgiveness and and love. Like I, I wish that I could hold him as a kid in the same way that like I loved holding my little brother and I wanted to protect him, you know? Mm-hmm. As part of your kind of reconciliation with him, did he ever like express regret over like kind of how he was towards you as a child? No, not mm. really. I don't know that he had that capacity. Mm-hmm. Once in high school, I was living with him. It was my senior year. I was going to have a graduation party because I heard you can make a lot of money off of uh, the cards. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so oh, Asian of you. Like, you mean like the, <laughs> yeah. like the lucky pouches or yeah, whatever? Yeah, like the check. Well, also in the white people giving you checks. Oh, <laughs> Doesn't oh even what? To, yeah. I'm hanging out with the wrong white people. Totally. Man. I think I got like 800 bucks or something. And people <laughs> just like, congratulations. Is that how you convince oh, your parents to throw, you, throw the party for you? <laughs> I don't know if I disclose that. This is or not. a money-making endeavor, guys. Come on, <laughs> let's much. do this. The original kick, like crowdsourcing Kickstarter, the GoFundMe. What can I say? Anyway. I am get the entrepreneurial I'm a mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a there was a skirkuffle between me and my stepmom. We didn't get along in high school, and she just like dipped off the face of the earth the night before the party. We were like, "Where the hell did she go? I don't know what time the delivery people are coming, et cetera, et cetera." She showed up in the middle of the party, dressed in all black with, with sunglasses on. Like, I guarantee she was hungover as fuck. I don't know where she went. She's an alcoholic, so. Wow. Um, so she pulled, like, a Moira and I, just showed up. I was going to say, I yeah, just had dude. this Moira, like. She just creak it up. Yep. Wow. Okay. Um, so that was obviously very tense. It was a very tense experience. And my dad and I got into an argument. And I was like, fuck this. Fuck you. I'm moving out. And I like dramatically grabbed all my clothes off the hangers and <laughs> stuffed them into a suitcase. And uh, he just, there was no, he couldn't handle it. He didn't understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. He had his own issues with her drinking and the dysfunction in their marriage. Everything collided outside as I was waiting for the taxi to drive me to my boyfriend's house. And I basically just laid out all of the memories that I had held on to from like being three and four of him being wildly angry and explosive and he cried a little bit and he was just like i'm so sorry (laughs) that was the most acknowledgement i got from him but i didn't get any like reasoning behind it i don't know how did that make you feel Mm -hmm. um to see him cry and like have some regret it was shocking didn't think he was capable of it i think he was shocked that i had held on to it Uh, which is funny and maybe speaks to his ability to compartmentalize or not think that what happened to him affected him. But yeah, I feel really, I feel emotional about it, remembering that. um, I don't know if we necessarily turned a corner in our relationship, but it had to be said. Mm -hmm. And eventually we did grow really close. Mm. We grew really close. Closer than my mom and I, I'd argue, ever were as I was an adult. Yeah. So he was like my one healthy parent. I ask because um, I feel like that's what therapy offers, where it's not that you need repair from the other person necessarily, Mm -hmm. right? Like wherever there was tension or trauma, that reconciliation isn't like a prerequisite for you to be able to get over it. Mm -hmm. That has been such a big mind shift for for me through Mm -hmm. therapy. Even though there's like, I can feel like even my like inner child really screaming out for like, you just want the parent to like 
I don't know, be accountable to themselves. Yeah, and to like feel sorry Remorseful. and like to, mm. to yes. treat you the and like to to love you and hug you and say they're mm. sorry for doing what they did, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. Very tender these days. Yeah. <laughs> I have been wronged in my life to the point where I thought that I could not possibly heal unless the person that wronged Mm -hmm. me would come forward and own up to what they did to me. But you really fuck yourself over if you stay stubborn in that and, and don't find the power within yourself to just accept that it happened. You are not responsible for that other person's treatment of you. You are responsible for yourself. I think, you know, we've been trained by movies and TV shows and stories that we read that like people will reconcile, you know, with each other in the span of a 30 minute episode, yeah. you know, that someone will have the emotional maturity to come forward and say, Hey, what I did was wrong and yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. you know, but that doesn't happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like those are the, the, the attributes that we want to, it's what we want to put up on a pedestal, right? Yeah. That's, like, that's aspirational. what aspirational. But you're right. If you're expecting that resolution, you're asking, like our parents, they are not those kind of people. And to expect them to do it is, don't hold your breath for that. that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so powerful that you have been able to let go of that and like be able to see kind of his inner child and like feel so much empathy for that. I think that's part of growing up. is being able to let go of some of that. I would even call it forgiving and forgetting because I don't think we should forget. I think it's big and amazing and mature of you to be able to kind of move past it. Thank you. Or like integrate it because I don't think you're moving past, right? Like it's That's a good word It's for a it. part of you. Yeah, and I, I value what it's taught me and it's a way I can feel close to him even when he's gone. I I just see him as a very multifaceted, dimensional person with flaws and with great characteristics as well. And I don't think him being abusive towards me came from a place of wanting to antagonize me or like consciously make me feel like shit. I think it was very much embedded into how he was raised to believe you maintained like order in the household or mm-hmm. control. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know, hurt people, hurt people, right? That's the Word. that's the saying. I also feel that yeah, if you are able to take that hurt and like Anne says, to integrate it into yourself, I think it provides a lot of opportunity for someone to become like way more empathetic of a human being. Mm-hmm. You know, so Anne and I talk a lot about our coworkers and how oh, we're just. We just can't get to a point where we feel comfortable with them or I'm never going to be friends in a way that like the way that we're friends because of, of why. Um, and I think part of it is that like their experience in life is just so different from ours growing up. Like the, the type of trauma that we had to deal with and the type of othering that we had to deal with. Mm-hmm. The, I, I think that if you've never had to sort of consider uh, yourself outside of the culture then you just don't have that perspective. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel feel like like when I, I hope this doesn't come off, I don't think it would come off as offensive, but when I see solidarity from a black person expressed for Asian Americans, like right now, I feel deeply moved by that because 
it's so easy when you are oppressed and when you are othered by white supremacy to like build that hard shell and other other people mm-hmm. because that's what we're taught yeah uh constitutes being you mm-hmm. know powerful and american yeah the other path to take is that like i know what that feels like mm-hmm. and i want to help you yeah yeah well, I guess one question I'd ask is like, how does being half Asian kind of like impact that experience that's different than like a white person who was abused by their like an angry parent, right? Like, are you processing it way differently because you're like, I, th- I think you mentioned in the, in the first episode, right? Like, were you associated kind of being Chinese with mm-hmm. like the super strict, angry persona, yeah. mm-hmm. and so you kind of you ended up rejecting a lot of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important to to say that, like, obviously there are lots of families of all sorts of races that yeah. are abusive, yeah. right? It's ju- it's just that an immigrant Asian family, or if you have roots in that, like that stuff is endemic, and that just passes on down the line. Like if you were immigrated here from another country with other values, like you don't have those Western values that, you know, love, nurturing. If you come from a, a background that's just like, no, you got to make it and yeah. assimilate in this mm-hmm. culture. You don't necessarily have that. Interesting. But wouldn't a white family also kind of who has a lot of like conflict and mm-hmm. abuse be also feeling kind of a disconnect between full house versus mm-hmm. my house? Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, for, for sure. sure. Yeah, I think so. I think both things can be true. Hmm. I don't know if this answers your question, but I never felt like I belonged on either side of my family. Yeah. I rejected the Chinese side because it scared me. And then my mom's side had its own issues. She lived in a constant state of denial of the impact of her lack of boundaries in her professional and personal life. And she constantly invalidated when I tried to bring my feel. She specialized I want you to understand, she is a clinical psychologist who specializes in post-traumatic stress disorder, but she could not acknowledge the ways that I had been traumatized with her wow. in the family that she and her ex-husband created. She couldn't do it, but she her, she made a career of serving and repairing the trauma felt in war veterans. Did, that, did that feel just extra fucked up to you then? Oh my God, yeah. I felt like I was fucking crazy for feeling so negatively about her mm-hmm. and when did you connect that dot i think i always sensed it sure, i just but. i just wrote a piece on it like an intuited unknown you can feel that something is off you can't put words to it mm-hmm. but your attitude becomes your defense because you are being diminished and you are fucking pissed about it and you don't understand why there's so much secrecy mm-hmm. i feel like we've been talking a lot about me <laughs> yeah you started us off. Okay. Well, well, I'm looking at you, Anne. If you had to pick one moment of trauma. Yeah, I, I don't, I can't pick one. <laughs> I know. Well, I think two things come to mind. Um, my parents and my dad was also really abusive and angry and kind of withholding of, of love. Yes. And I don't even have like a memory of trying of like being playful with them playing catch or like i don't know enjoying being in their presence and that they enjoyed being in mine and i'm sure that there were moments photographs seem to suggest that but for how i remember like my childhood it felt always very kind of 
lonely and hurt and kind of misunderstood and angry. Um, Wow. But I don't, um, I think when it comes to that being a racialized thing, I, that was just my world that I, that I operated in. Everyone around me was, um, well, I guess maybe I'm giving it more credit than, (laughs) than it deserves. And, and, and maybe it is kind of like the disconnect between what you expected out of your parents because of what you saw on TV versus like how your parents kind of loved you. To be honest, I don't, I don't feel like I want to get into specifics about mm-hmm. like a particular like incident of abuse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but my parents were very abusive. Never like without warning though, right? And so it was always like, well, I deserved it because I talked back or I didn't do this or like I did something to kind of provoke and like deserve the punishment. I think a lot of our conflict actually came when I was much older, so like through junior high, and I wouldn't back down. My dad specifically would like, he he would beat me, right? And, or, or like slap me. But like, I didn't want to back down. I wanted him to like, see how far he would be willing to take it mm-hmm. before he would realize that what he was doing was wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it fucking never got there, right? Like, um which in and of itself is so sad yeah that's a whole other like i couldn't even show you that i deserved better or like this is Mm -hmm. how monstrous you're acting and i'm gonna put myself on the line i'm gonna endure this a little bit longer Mm -hmm. yeah so that maybe that flip switch will flip and it doesn't it's like you're hoping that their love will will at some point peak up yeah speak them go hey hey this is your child that you're beating yeah but it never did no yeah that's messed up yeah. So I I was really angry. Um, and, mm. and I think, you know, kind of put it in a box and put it put it away. Um, and it took, you know, I'm 35 now. So it's taken a good 15 years since I left home for for school and kind of for Seattle and mm. that I've been able to get away from under like their abuse and that we've developed a different kind of relationship. But never kind of spoken about again wow Mm. do you ever plan to no Mm. why is that feels too tender okay do you think that your dad like speaking to that capability do you think he would even have that capability it seems like your mom would maybe but not your dad i mean your dad's like a like a robot i think Mm. i am trying to protect that inner child that is looking for kind of that love again to hear them express regret like if we were to have that conversation and that didn't happen oh my god i'd be fucking like (laughs) i'd be devastated all over again like times a hundred like at least now i can kind of rationalize it and say okay my parent and i'm not rationalizing um i think the lens through which i see it now and who i'm trying to process as an adult is they may not have shown love through like verbal affirmations or kind of a physical love, but they provided for me. Like I went to all kinds of like art lessons, swimming lessons, taekwondo, like piano lessons, like all these things that they kind of paid for and like, you know, also used as punishment. But that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> but that was how they showed love, right? Yeah. And I think to just 
compartmentalize like the hurt I felt and kind of process that with my therapist. Um, And then also be able to see that in many ways, I was cared for, even if it was not the way that I felt that I needed. Mm. Oh, I have so many feelings. (laughs) I have so many feelings. When I hear that, I feel, (laughs) a part of me is like very cynical about Mm. it, right? Like, um, yes, they took care of you and they housed you and they, they took you all these lessons. But like the uncharitable view is that like they were doing that because they want their child to be a certain way. Like, I want my child to be a, a good pianist. Or I want a my child to be, of me. Yeah, I want my child because like, jokes on you can't draw, can't swim, can't yeah. sing, can't garden yeah, like, like a I, motherfucker. I, I want it, yeah, exactly. But yeah, like I want to shape my child a certain way, and so that that's kind of how I look at it. I'm like. Tied to your yeah, family it wasn't, honor. It wasn't because I asked for it and they said, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. I would love to support your hobby yeah, yeah. and I will yeah. pay for you yeah. to go to learn yeah. that. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't mean to like totally tear down like your... The way that you're Your coping. quote unquote rational... Yeah, the way you're, you're coping with it. <laughs> that seems really shitty. I'm, I'm a great. shitty person I a, now. I need a new great. coping mechanism yeah, now. No, no, I'm going to leave now. You are also protective of Anne because you love her. And I, I feel a little protective of you too right now because like... <laughs> Sure, your parents didn't let you become a displaced, houseless child that had no food on the table. Mm-hmm. I guess there's merit to that. Mm-hmm. But like, they could have not physically harmed you. They could have not made you feel routinely small and insignificant, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, that is, to me, I have a similar experience because I grew up really privileged and that was touted over me as like, hey, we're giving you the childhoods that we never had. So you better mm-hmm. buck up and be grateful. Yeah. And I think a lot of my self-loathing stemmed from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, you're you're stupid. You can't even like just appreciate what you have. You have to find the flaws in yeah. it and feel sad. Or that you deserve to be like to indulge and to be happy and to like experience like play and pleasure. Mm-hmm. That's awful. But you have like a mildly pleasant relationship with your dad now and your mom? I think mildly pleasant is where we're selling it. Mm. Don't you think? <laughs> I'm looking at Anne. I think I have a desire to get to know him as a person. I wouldn't, I, I don't, in, in that reconciliation that you have like with, with your dad and, you, and he got to be like a more full-figured mm-hmm. um, kind of person outside of being a father. Um, I think that's kind of what I'm, I'd like to develop, but it's also <laughs> a little, <laughs> it's a little awkward to broach because I think, you know, parts of me are still holding on to the idea that it feels like a betrayal of that younger hurt self where it's like, for 25 years of my life, I demonized my dad. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, my mom where I thought that they were a shitty person and mean and awful and just like, yeah. And so to to try to re- like even repair that in my head just feels a little like uh is that not like therapy teaches you yes and not it's black and white kind sure. of one or the other. And I think that's kind of what I'm still working with and like trying to integrate. Yeah, do you feel like if you try to bridge the divide that you have with them that it would almost be like compromising the integrity of the narrative that you had since you were a kid or that you risk yourself from more hurt? I don't think about it 
too often now to be honest in terms of like what it what it means I think it's just it feels awkward to try to build a relationship to bring the person I am today to them as almost like a peer right Mm -hmm. it's it's weird you know it's like when you when you went away to college I might not know but (laughs) the implication being that I never went to college for those of you listening (laughs) edit that out um i i think the implication is that you know when you when you grow a little bit and you come back home to an environment that you used to be in like you kind of uh regress back to the version of you that you last were when you were with them i think i've always just been scared to bring my full and current self in front of them because mm. that's always been really vulnerable position Rejected. to be in yeah. yeah do you think you could even be that person though with them because a, a, a big part of being able to express who you are is just um, the language safe. barrier to oh yeah you know like how do you communicate your ideas your internal <laughs> thoughts to yeah. someone in a language that you don't have full command over yeah you know? I mean I think thank you for bringing that up I think that is such a huge part of like the Asian like for second generation folks where it's hard to kind of communicate yeah. yes. I, I feel the same way with, with my mom as well. Yeah, like not being able to communicate fully formed thoughts. Asian Americans can relate in that you grew up in a household speaking one language, but then through just living in American culture, you learn English. And a lot of the times that ends up being your first language. And so you lose the ability to communicate. You know, if you didn't continue going to like Chinese school well into high school, your vocabulary stops maybe around the sixth grade, like, you know, for like Chinese or whatever your, your home language was, right? And so being able to communicate with your parents when you've become an adult and you've done all that processing, you have the language and the concepts in your head in English yeah. to do that. But to take that and map it onto Chinese, I can't do that. You know, that'd be impossible. Interesting. So I think a lot of the times too, you know, being able to build those relationships with your parents as more of a peer or just as an adult. I've always thought of that as like the purview of white families. I mean, for lack of a better term, it's just like, I don't like all my friends that are able to do that. They're all my white friends that can speak with the elders of their family using a common language that they could all fully express themselves in. And I can't do that. (laughs) You know, like Mm -hmm. there's no way in my sixth grade at best Chinese vocabulary that I can express myself how I do like here in this podcast. Like there's no way. Wow. I didn't realize that. I kind of assumed y'all were fluent. I mean AF. <laughs> no, I mean Very naive. We can we can I mean I can speak it just fine, but I mean Anne is way more fluent than I am in Mandarin. Like uh, I grew up speaking Mandarin and Cantonese mm-hmm. and a little bit of Vietnamese. But like yeah, like I said, a lot of that kind of went by the wayside. It's more casual conversation, right? Like even even any terms like inner child and like trauma like yeah what like <laughs> those are I don't those know are what that hard is. things to also express even in english mm-hmm. right? right like and do they even have that vernacular yeah in yeah there's in so Mandarin. much heavy lifting you'd have to do yeah because yeah. you can yeah. talk about therapeutic concepts till the cows come home yeah. but unless your audience can identify yeah. what those actually mean i feel yeah. that in my writing sometimes because i'm like I just sound like a freaking therapist when I write. (laughs) And my cohort leader was like, yeah, but it can be really helpful for people that don't have that exposure to those terms Mm -hmm. um, and those ways of thinking. I guess. Yeah, I mean, you have to lay a lot of groundwork. And I just don't feel like I could 
do that in Chinese. Could could you? <laughs> no. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Hey, I didn't cry. <laughs> or you know, cry. Let it all out. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm sure you've done plenty of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ty. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I didn't grow up with my father. Just my mother raising us. I'm sure, like all of us, there's lots of moments that you could choose from <laughs> mm-hmm. of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um. Anne has heard me tell this story before. The one moment of trauma that I remember very, very distinctly, like it was yesterday. Lots of moments like that. But this one really, I think, is the loudest. It must have been in junior high. And uh, my mom was very, very adamant that her boys be good boys. You know, you study, you're obedient, you get good grades, you don't get in trouble, right? And me being like the eldest uh, son, like, she always looked at me and, and said that, like, you're the good one. And my younger brother, she always harped on him for being, like, not the good one because he would screw up more than me. That was her perception, was that he was kind of the fuck up. It's kind of extreme. Again, in, like, Asian culture, there's, like, oh, like, no, guaya, you know. Mm. And, like, I I was that child. Um, And my brother, she somehow thought that he wasn't. I disagree. And can I also just say that term, guai, is also, like, obedient. Yeah. It's not just, like well-behaved or something mm-hmm. it's like there's a certain level of like deference of like mm-hmm. child to authority yeah right mm-hmm. my brother um he he was just being a fucking kid he you know walked to school with his friends and one of his friends decided to look into a mailbox you know like open it up and to see what mail was in there mm-hmm. and like you know you're not supposed to do that right and like i guess some neighbor saw him doing it like he got in trouble with for that because like, okay. it was close enough to the school where like they were like yard monitors or whatever Ugh. i don't know reported him i don't even know how that came to be but he got in trouble for that and that was yet sort of another thing that my mom was like look you're such a screw-up look mm. at your older brother he's so much you know which is i always thought was just such bullshit but i remember this one this one time he and a friend uh went to the local bartels this drugstore yes um that was like a block away from our house and his friend had like shoplifted like a pen or something like that and like, you know, my brother might have done that as well. I'm not sure, but like they got caught. And so the store manager took them to the back. And I, I got a phone call. Your brother's here and you need you to come here. And I was like, oh, what the hell? So I go there and like the, the manager's got two kids. Like, they must have been like in the second grade or something. Oh my God. Like sitting in like two chairs, like interrogation style in the back room. And they're both just sobbing, like oh, red in the no. face, puffy eyes, just sobbing. Like I was like, what the fuck is happening here? Like he thought that he was like beating them or How something. How old were you? I was in junior high probably. I think you already said that. Yeah, like I was in junior high or maybe I was like in high like sophomore year of high school or freshman or something like that. So I, I get there and he like tells me what's, you know, what was happening. And and I was like, oh, well, like they're kids like shoplifting. Okay, that sucks. Sorry, let's go guys, you know. So we go and like his friend goes on his way and my brother and I are walking back home and he's just like freaking out. Like he's sobbing and crying. Um, and he's like, should I tell mom? Like, what, like she's gonna go crazy you know and i was thinking like yeah like she totally is gonna go like fly off the handle and like i knew what the consequences were i knew that if he told her they were caught shoplifting she would have a cow but i was like i don't even know why but i said well yeah i mean she's gonna freak out but you know it's probably better to tell her and you know you'll face the music and you know we'll get past it you know mm. 
And I remember him like accepting it, you know, and he was like crying the whole time, but you could see that he was processing like why he had to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Man, I regret that so much oh, to this day. Yeah. Like, I wish I would have said, no, it's okay. Let's not tell her. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, you know, hindsight, I'm like, it's, you were shoplifting a fucking pen. Like, you're being kids. I think you, know? you were trying to be noble. I think I was trying to do what I thought was right that my mom taught me. You well, know? it probably also was if your mom had found out that and knew that you had covered yeah. for him as well. There's also You that. also would have gotten in like... Well, we both would have. Yeah. Yeah. That could have been worse. Like, I had to weigh that mm-hmm. possibility, right? Um, and so we did. You know, we got home and, and my mom came home later and, um, oh, no. you know, we told her. And yeah, sure enough, she like flipped the fuck out and started just wailing on him. And you know, did that thing where you get it, you go into the kitchen, you open up the drawer, and you know, you just hear that like the clanging mm. of all the instruments that are in there. Mm. She pulls out like this, you know, the big wooden soup spoon and just starts going to town on him. And I remember thinking that like, okay, well, this is like, you know, he's got to take his lickings and sort of, you know, just take the punishment. You know, it'll be over soon. I just remember standing there in the kitchen. Um, and I just, I'm just looking down at my feet, yeah. you know, I didn't want to like be witness to this. Um, and just thinking the whole time, like, this is going to be over soon, you know? Um, uh, and I remember very specifically the pattern of the, the linoleum floors, the cheap linoleum floors, and they were white, um, with like these red lines and like floral patterns in there. And I remember like, as I was looking down, just trying to block out the noise, um, I just see like, uh, two red drops of blood. No. On the floor. No. Ugh. It's hard. Sorry. Um, and so I, I snapped out of it, and I, I rushed, uh, and I like pulled her back. Mm. And that, I think that was like the first time I ever fought back. I guess you know. Yeah. Before I was always just like, well, you just take it, you know, whatever. Um, so I, I pulled her off him. And I yelled at her, like, like, don't do this. Like, stop. Because if you don't... Like, I was thinking, if you don't, I'm going to hit you, wow. you know? Um, but I said, if you don't, I'm going to call the cops. Mm. You know? And I pushed her back. Mm. And I pulled him off to the side. And, uh... <clears throat> and so she stopped. Um... But it was like a very super shitty to have to do that, you know. Um, so uh, eventually she calms down and I, like, I pull him, you know, way into the bedroom, like our shared bedroom, right? Um, and, you know, he climbs up on the bunk bed and I forget what she's doing, but um, I'm just uh, talking to him and, and I don't remember exactly what we said, but... Um, I I said that uh look 
And even the way I said it, I look back now, I'm like, oh, this is kind of stupid. But I said, look, what you did was wrong, but what she did, that's not cool. Like, she shouldn't have done that. Um, it's not right. And I think he understood, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> uh, but, the, but the next thing he said, oh my God, it broke my heart, man. He said, um, he's like, I'm scared. What if you leave to go to school and I'm stuck with her by myself? Mm. And I think it just reminded me of like how I felt like he said what I felt. Is that yeah. you're just you're just afraid. Yeah. Um and it just it just hurts so much to hear him say that out loud. You know, we it, we didn't have another parent in the house to sort of step in and and be like a a, mm-hmm. a cooling sort of like mitigating factor, right? You it was were just me. That parent. Right. And so it just it just felt like it's it just more responsibility on my shoulders, you know? It probably wasn't super defining, but it definitely reinforced this idea of the parental figure as this unsafe. Mm-hmm. It's not a source of nurture. It's a source of violence. Hey, you've been listening to Conversations with Two and a Half Asians. That was intense. So we actually covered a lot more ground this week and it became a bit of a beast. So we decided to split this episode up into two parts. We hope you'll join us next week for part two. If you enjoy our brand of vulnerability and humor and what we have to say, then please consider subscribing to our podcast and uh, telling your friends about our little show here. Or not, uh, we can just be your little secret. On behalf of my co-host Anne She and Elena Earhart, who couldn't be here for the outro record, I am your host, Ty M. Tran, signing off. <laughs>